Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, January 22, 2017. The share ID for Friday, January 20th, is 9500. That's 9500. Today, A Vision for You presents Living the Steps. Many people consider the 12 steps one of the greatest miracles of the 20th century. There's no telling how many lives have been touched and changed by the 12 steps. Overeaters Anonymous stands for the proposition that the 12 steps give us freedom from the bondage of food. As a result of the 12 steps, we are changed in the way we think, the way we feel, and especially in the way we behave. The exciting thing about the 12 steps is that they teach us how to live. Once we know the design of living and the principles of living a successful life, we find that we not only get over the problems we see, but we avoid many other problems we would have had. The miracle is that all of this is boiled down into 12 simple steps which anybody can apply. Here with us this morning is Don C., a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. Don, a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous, spends much time sharing his experience, strength, and hope, and carrying the message of recovery. Welcome to the line, Don. Don, star one to unmute. Don C., we do not hear you at the moment. All right, let's await a moment. I believe our speaker's having some technical difficulties as he calls back into the line. Hello. Yes, one moment. We're awaiting our speaker. Thank you for your patience. Don C., star one to unmute. Thank you for everyone's patience at this time as our speaker calls back in. Hello. And there's Don. There Thank I you. Am. I had to switch phones for some reason. I don't okay. know why, but I just do what works. That's exactly correct. Thank you so much. Go right ahead, Don. All right. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Don, compulsive eater and food addict. Um let me say in introduction, um, I'm not here to impress. I'm not here to teach what a book or a book books say. I'm here to share my experience in OA and my life. The big book and the 12 and 12s and other 12-step related literature 
have provided uh, a framework for my recovery, but I had to take their wisdom and, re- and suggested processes and apply it to my life. So I've learned that there's no one right way to work the 12-step program any more than there's one right food plan for everyone. So I'm not trying to teach what a particular book says today. I'm simply sharing my experience, what I did to gain the freedom and what I do to keep the freedom. So use what you need and leave the rest. I've been in OA 35 years this coming Thursday. Last time I was on the Vision for You was two years ago on my anniversary. And so it's now anniversary time again. So I decided that it seems like an appropriate time. So 35 years this coming Thursday, Thursday, January 26th. I'm in my 32nd year of abstinence, maintaining about 185-pound weight loss for more than three decades now. I admitted my powerlessness powerlessness to stop on my own in the first step, and that empowered me to move forward, Uh, empowered me to change my eating to the right amounts and the right structure, and I took out the trigger foods, which for me are sugars and refined carbs, and that's still the way I eat after all these years, three meals a day, nothing in between, no sugar and refined carbs. The power to do that and keep doing it comes from living in a way that seems to keep the disease arrested. The big book uses the phrase, staying in fit spiritual condition. But for me, it's it's been more than that. OA for me has been a rebuilding my life program, not a diet program. Yeah, the weight came off and it stayed off. But I've gradually over the years uh, strived to change my thinking and my words and my actions into a way of living that doesn't require me to medicate my discomfort with food because that's what I was doing with the food even though I didn't realize it. I was medicating. For me, the uh, uh, the program, in a, in a sense, from 10,000 feet is a two-step program. One is to put down the food, get abstinent, and the second is personality personality change through the 12 steps to get the power to keep the food down. I'll say that again. Put the food down, and then in order to get the power to keep the food down, it's the personality change process of the 12 steps, the spiritual awakening process, personality change, whichever phrase you'd like best. If I'm still fighting food today, then either I haven't truly gotten honest with my food or I haven't changed enough. And that's what I see with uh, lots of people that I talk to. They haven't quite changed enough. So my subject today is living the steps. Two years ago this week, I spoke on Vision for You on the design for living that I came to discover through this process. When I say discovered for myself, that's not what I think somebody else wanted me to be. It was getting aligned with what I think I was created to be. Or said another way, aligned with God's will for me. Dawn, as best I can understand it. So part of recovery for me has been becoming all that I can be utilizing all the talents and skills I've been given or acquired. You're going to hear from me over and over and over today, action, 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 action. For me, this is an action program, hundreds and hundreds of actions that I take uh, in order to uh, open myself to the healing power of this program. When taking the actions of the step, what the, what taking the actions of the steps do is open me, open me to that healing power of something greater than myself. But I have to do the footwork, and there's lots of it. Most important, I guess, to my subject today of living the steps, the actions that never stop, 
at least if I want to hold on to the freedom from the obsession and compulsion, is keep taking those actions, keep taking those actions. Bill W. commented in a 1966 letter that I like. He said, God more often helps those who are willing to help themselves. So my recovery has been about personality change. Uh, God didn't give me my personality defects as I see it. I did. I developed them over time, and it's up to me with God and the OA Fellowship's help to change them. I think what I'll do this morning is go through the steps twice here. Well, first, I think I'll just do a 10-minute summary of the steps, uh, how I got well and stay well. And then I'll go back and I'll focus a little bit more on the living part of the steps. And um, uh, let's just do that first. So, all right, so how I got well and stay well. I'm reading, obviously, from notes from a, a card that I've used many times. Some of you may have heard me talk about this. Step one, I put down the food. I had to detox from food so I could objectively examine my life since food was a symptom, not the ultimate problem. I accepted I had an incurable but arrestable disease over which willpower was useless and that I could never treat food like a normal eater, ever. I was powerless to stop on my own, not helpless, but powerless to stop on my own. I was not helpless over the actions that I needed to take. Step two, from seeing and hearing recovery in the OA rooms, I gained the hope that kept me coming back to meetings. I was an atheist when I came into the program, hardcore, bitter, angry, anti-religion, full of anger at just about everything under the sun. If there had not been, if I could not see and hear recovery in those OA rooms, I would not be here. It was these these crazy people. I didn't understand what it was that they got or had or how they got it. But when I heard their stories, they used to be where I was, and they weren't in it, weren't there anymore. So they gave me hope to stick around and keep doing, keep going. Step three was the biggie for me. I committed to the program. And it wasn't God or any kind of a religious thing. My higher power was the program, I guess. I didn't understand it then, but that's what it was. I simply made a commitment to work in the rest of the program, the rest of the 12 steps. So for me, surrender wasn't giving up. It was deciding to cooperate. That's what I did. I admitted decided to admit myself to the metaphorical OA hospital in step three and say, okay, I'll open my hands, I'll open my brains, what do I do now? And, of course, what I do now is go to the next step. So four, five, six, and seven were the biggies and continue to be the biggies for me today all these years later. Uh, In these change steps, these were the big change steps, continue to be the big change steps, I began rebuilding myself into the person that God intended me to be. Now, I say that God intended me to be. I certainly didn't understand that then. Uh, so the, it's been a very long spiritual journey for me. But I was following directions, and I began to see things that didn't work. And the program and other and people in the fellowship began to demonstrate uh, things that did work. So what are these changes, some of the major changes that began to occur in 4, 5, 6, and 7? I began to face and deal with life rather than whine and eat. All I did was complain, complain, complain. I blamed everybody under the sun. What I began to do was to take responsibility for myself. No more blaming others. No more blaming circumstances. 
no more poor me, poor me. If you had my fill-in-the-blank, you would do this too. Uh, I began to let go of my self-centeredness, which I could not recognize at all in the beginning, as well as the what I call the controlling. Um, I stopped the mental master planning in my head that I was doing for the world. What I was doing was imposing shoulds and oughts on people and situations. In my head was a scenario of the way things ought to be, how they should be, what you should say, how you should react, what you should do, and of course, Nobody ever followed my mental master plan. Even if they knew what it was, they wouldn't have followed it. So that uh, bad thinking set me up to always be frustrated because people and situations didn't go the way I thought they should. In other words, my way. That self-centeredness. Hard to see in the beginning. Eventually I began to see that it was certainly there, as the big book said, was, was kind of the center of my problem. Uh, I began to let go of the self-sabotaging perfectionism that ensured that I would always feel not good enough. Uh, having that uh, self-esteem problem and that fear of looking stupid or fear of not good enough, looking silly, whatever, I always overdid, overdid, overdid everything, trying to strive, strive for perfection so that you couldn't criticize me. I was always looking for strokes. Uh, oh, yeah, Don, great job, great job. Always seeking that perfection, and, of course, there's no such thing as perfection. So that thinking ensured that I would always continue to feel not good enough. And that was one of the problems of when I came, not good enough. I began to let go of selfishness. Um, again, hard to see the selfishness in the beginning, but it was certainly there. So there was a gradual shift, a gradual paradigm shift from how do I get to how can I be useful. Major, major change for me from getting to giving. The 11-step prayer admonishes me to seek to comfort, understand, and love rather than to be comforted, understood, and love. Major, major part of my philosophy today. I say that prayer every day, and that's that's what I base my life on. How can I uh, uh, comfort, understand, and love rather than be comforted, be understood, and be loved? Uh, I began practicing acceptance, and letting go of my anger and re resentment. That means forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is healing. Uh, letting go of the resentment is healing. I began to practice courage rather than fear uh, for a long time. It was simply um, white-knuckle courage, I guess. I had a tough love sponsor, which I'm grateful for to this day in the beginning. It says, I don't care if you're afraid. Do it anyway. And he said, courage is not the absence of fear, it's doing it anyway. So for a long time, I was just doing it anyway, white-knuckle courage. But, of course, the more you do something, the less fearful it is. So that was a biggie and slowly getting rid of the fear. I began to be authentic rather than a phony, always pretending, always seeking strokes. I know the fifth step is all about integrity. I was forever pretending to be this, a forever on stage because of this poor, fearful self inside. Uh, I was protecting uh, myself, trying to project an image uh, of what I wanted you to think of me, not to show you the real me. And getting well was all about becoming the real me. Stop pretending. Stop the pretense. Stop seeking accolades and strokes from people, notoriety, whatever. Uh, just be who you are. 
I began to put discipline and structure into my life. It started, of course, with the eating. Uh, Getting into a very structured way of eating was the beginning of putting structure into the rest of my life. it, It sounds like a simple thing, but so, so important. Today I talk about discipline uh, and structure, really important to holding on to this recovery. And uh, I'll talk about more about that later. Sometimes I talk about the daily treatment plan or I talk about daily disciplines dutifully done. So that's some of the, some of the changes that began to happen to me in 4, 5, 6, and 7. In 8 and 9, I uh, took full responsibility for what I had done in my 42 years. Uh, when I came into the program, uh, I made amends, cleaned up the past, and let go of the past. I put it away, uh, just as the big book promises. Uh, between the fifth step, where I got rid of most of the guilt and shame, and the seventh step, and then in, in the ninth step, the past was pretty much erased, and I was able to stand up like a real grown-up, and hold my head high and go forward without uh, all this crap from the past weighing me down. New day, new life. It was a gift. Uh, I do whatever I need to do to hold on to that gift. That's the healing that came to me. Uh, The obsession was lifted, and it doesn't always work this way for everybody, but the obsession was truly lifted from me then. But I need to, to hold on to that gift, I actively need to keep living the program, particularly focusing on 10, 11, and 12, but all the steps, and that's what I'll come back and talk a little bit about in a few minutes. Uh, Step 10, uh, every morning I inventory my emotional and spiritual condition, and I make the necessary corrections to my thinking and and behavior. I continue to grow as as well as keep the slate clean as I go. So no need to accumulate guilt about bad behavior or harm that I've done to others. Step 11, every morning I seek to understand God's will for me through prayer and meditation. I'll I'll expand on that greatly in a little bit. Uh, I say my own prayers as well as the serenity, third, seventh, and eleventh step prayers, uh, plus some of the things out of the big book like direct my thinking today, God, keep a tree of self-pity, dishonest or self-seeking motives. I also do a lot of affirmations, particularly the OA, just for today. Uh, affirmations that have been around for a very long time. I memorize those early on in the program, and I say those every single day. Sometimes, uh, frequently, they're during exercise when I'm on the treadmill or the uh, or the um, uh, bicycle. Step 12, I devote a great deal of one-on-one time trying to help others who share my disease, as well as a lot of time doing service for uh, intergroup and region and, and world service. So the disease is arrested, but I still have the disease. I still have the disease, no matter what. I stay free only as long as I remain in fit spiritual condition, which in concrete terms for me means continuing to take the actions outlined in the 12 steps. So one of my often talked about themes is freedom is not free. Freedom is not free. Uh, my story in the, in, o, in the OA3 book, is entitled Freedom is Not Free. All right, let me go back and now uh, talk a little bit about living the steps. If you hear pages turning, it's because a lot of what I'm going to say here is out of my uh, blog where I've been doing a series for the last few months on living the steps. 
I'm up to uh, through steps 8 and 9. Uh, so 10, 11, and 12 aren't there yet. I wish they would have been there. But in any event, I'm, I'm looking at uh, some of these, and so uh, if you hear pages, I'm kind of referring to some of my notes out of those. So living step one. Um, we admitted we were powerless over food. Our lives had become unmanageable. Well, I have the gift of long-term abstinence and the triple-digit weight loss. And uh, because of this, I'm often asked how I hold on to my abstinence and recovery. And the short answer is living the steps um, with a very heavy emphasis on trying to help others who suffer from this disease. Trying to help others. There's no question that passing this on and trying to be of service to other suffering compulsive eaters, overeaters, people with these food problems, is what helps me hold on to the gift. Um, the first step opened the door to a second life for me, a second chance. I've often said, uh, I came to the, uh, I'm not telling my story here today, but I came to the program 30 days after a suicide attempt. And uh, within a few months, well, let's say the better part of a year, all of that suicidal stuff was, was gone. And I had been given a second chance, a second life, a second chance at life. And I'm still nursing that and holding on to that with all uh, that I uh, that I can do. Uh, the first, uh, I learned a new reality, I guess, in this in this second life. Uh, a new reality took shape. Um, today, I often talk about my recovery as coming to understand and accept and deal with reality. I was in kind of a dream world before, and the program helped me come to accept and deal with the world as it is, in all of its unfairness and in all of its injustices. It just is. That's where we live. What the program teaches me to do, has helped me learn to do, is to deal with these things and to do the best I can. Um, the first basic truth, this new reality of the reconstructed operating system on which my current life is based, and that's really what it was. It was like rebuilding my insides, rebuilding um, how my brain worked. My first sponsor has said, you know, you you need a brain transplant, Don. Um, uh, I said one time to him, you know, this, this program is is uh, brainwashing. And he said, well, maybe your brain is dirty and needs washing. And, of course, it did. So there was a brain transplant of sorts um, that went on as I worked through these steps and began learning the program and what it was about. So I have the disease. I say it every time I speak in a meeting. My name is Don. I'm a compulsive eater and food addict. It's who I am. It's where I am. What is, is. My disease is reality. I deal with it every day. It's as much a part of my life as my spouse, my kids, and my grandkids. It's impossible to forget it. I have a new personality with this reality as one of the components. That's the first step. If I don't, if I don't believe that, if I forget that, I'm... I'm just drifting into relapse. So I have this disease. It just is. So uh, I've built a structure into my life that ensures that I don't forget that I have the disease. Uh, this is a disease that requires for me a lifelong daily treatment plan, a daily treatment plan, a disease that dictates that, uh, that I cannot now or ever treat food like a normal eater. Forgetting that I have this permanent progressive fatal disease is like forgetting my address. If I don't remember where I live, I will always end up somewhere else, uh, as a comedian once said. 
So recovering wasn't as about establishing a new normal for myself, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Step one was first, acceptance of the disease, and second, internalizing a new normal eating plan. Abstinence was the result. The plan of eating is an action that leads me to the result. Sustained abstinence for me has been a result, a gift of living the rest of the steps. So the plan of eating, it's about what, where, when, and how much. The what means a nutritionally balanced plan for me that excludes all my poisons and the mood-altering foods that activates the craving and out-of-control eating. And I mentioned that was pretty much sugars and refined carbs. Um, Living step one also means watching out for the subtle lies that the disease might whisper into my ear when the emotions are raw, be it sadness or, or anger or some other distress. That's how it all started for me 50 years ago when this disease really kicked in. I was unconsciously medicating my emotions. And so I have to constantly be aware of that. When the feelings are there, because I have this disease, those feelings masquerade as hunger. It's not hunger. The emotions are not hunger, but my disease tells me they are hunger. Living without compulsive eating means dealing with life in ways other than drugging myself with food. Through the step transformation process, I've learned to deal with the feelings in constructive ways. Um, The greatest danger, I guess, to my recovery is forgetting that I'm an addict. And therefore, the most important thing in my life has to be to not eat my mood-altering foods. Uh, These are not simply words to me when I say it's the most important thing in my life. It's the highest, it is the highest priority because if I have that cookie or that slice of pizza or that piece of wedding cake, I run the risk of descending back into the depths of hell from where I came. So two truths for me here. One, accept that I have the disease. I'm addicted to certain foods. And two, I need a structured plan of eating and a way of thinking and living to keep me in fit spiritual condition. I get the power to live free and productively and abstinent, free from the obsession by staying aligned with the design for living outlined in the steps, traditions, slogans, and tools for me. STST is an acronym I use, Steps, Traditions, Slogans, and Tools. Um, what I know, We're talking about powerlessness here and getting honest with ourselves. The uh, moral principle behind step one, uh, a lot of people say, is honesty. Not only must I get honest and stay honest with myself about the disease, I have to practice honesty in all aspects of my life. My ability to live in honesty is about self-acceptance. Self-acceptance. I am okay. No better than, no worse than. I need to be who I am rather than living in guardedness and pretense. I need to be authentic and honest. Honesty makes so much more sense than dishonesty or pretense. Um, Insincerity or play acting is kind of exhausting. It takes so much more energy than openness. Insincerity creates guilt, shame, and anxiety for me. I have to consistently be who I am, but with the self-discipline to not hurt others. I have no right to hurt others in the name of honesty. Uh, I no longer waste energy on pretense and hiding and protecting and role-playing and covering up. I put that energy into dealing with the reality of the world and working to live a, a more useful and full life. A big part of living in honesty for me is no longer needing to be right. 
I tell my truth, and whatever happens, happens. Rebuilding my self-esteem and self-respect began with getting honest with myself and staying honest with myself. No more denial, no more hiding. Living step two. Um, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. As an anti-religious zealot, <laughs> it's not an exaggeration, when I entered OA 35 years ago, I rephrased step two to allow me to not run away in disgust. So I had three ways that I was saying step two. I said, one was, came to believe that something different and greater than my own willpower could restore me to sane eating. Another way I said step two in order to keep going was, came to believe that a new way of thinking and acting different from my own can restore me to sane eating. And the third way, was came to believe that there was something here in OA, even if I didn't understand it, that could help me get my life back. The higher power stuff seemed pure nonsense then. Much later, as I worked the steps, I came to see that I already had some higher powers. Of course, none of those worked. That included achievement, education, money, title, status, all those things. In retrospect, I could see were my higher powers. Those are the things that drove me and on which my life and behavior was was based. I see belief and faith are different. This says came to believe. Uh, Belief for me precedes faith. I can come to believe that something might help me. Faith, on the other hand, is knowing that something will help me. So at first, for me, it was belief in the program, based on the recovery I saw and heard in the rooms. Members in recovery were clearly my first higher powers. Then I added a sponsor, Charlie was his name, and Richard, and Mickey. Uh, Then I added certain meetings, and then the big book, and then the steps. All these things went into my higher power. Then the AA 12 and 12, as I began to study that. From all these things that were cumulatively a higher power for me, from all these things, there was, it seemed like it was uh, what I saw as a distillation of the wisdom of the ages. Wisdom of the ages was something that I saw in all these things. Absent and clear-minded, I was able to appreciate these truths for living and being that I read and that I heard in the rooms. So this was the new design for living my life, on which I could base my life, uh, because I needed a new life, obviously. So what started as belief eventually grew into faith as I saw that it worked. The program clearly works if I work it, as we say in in all the meetings. It works if you work it. So there's no doubts of of any kind now. I know the program works. Uh, My faith today is a little bigger than the list above, but all those things are still part of my higher power. Step two is about hope, living living in hope. the moral principle is hope. So what that means for me today, partly, is cultivating an attitude of hope and positive thinking rather than gloominess and negativity and fault-finding. Today I look for the best, I expect the best, not the worst. That's exactly the opposite of way I, the way I was when I came to the program. I always expected the worst, one of the things I learned in my childhood, you know, expect the worst and then be dis- never disappointed. Uh, I had the melancholia, the depression, uh, the gloominess, the negativity, 
for years and years and years, that's how you get to the uh, to that bridge. Uh, that I, I didn't mention the bridge, but that was part of the suicide deal. So step two, living step two, is about maintaining the opposite of that. So living step two today, in addition to never forgetting that it was ultimately a power greater than myself that led me to freedom, is maintaining an attitude of hope toward life, an attitude of optimism rather than pessimism, of looking for the best, not the worst, of positive thinking, looking on the bright side rather than the dark side, of trying to maintain a smile rather than a frown, and perhaps most of all, an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of gratitude for the gift of life and recovery. I do do a gratitude list every morning as part of my 11-step work, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, There's a third component for me in living step two, not forgetting the insanity, right? Restore us to sanity. Well, I cannot forget the insanity. No matter how many years of recovery, no matter how much service, no matter what I do, the disease is still present in my body. It potentially can still whisper all the same lies to me that I used to believe. So to summarize the living step two for me, one, it's ultimately something bigger than myself that heals, not me, although I have lots and lots of work to do. Two, I must forever cultivate an attitude of hope and positive thinking. And three, the potential for insanity is always, always present. Living step three, uh, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Um, That tough love sponsor in the beginning said to me, you know, if you want to stop and can't, then your ideas suck. (laughs) You're going to need a brain transplant. I mentioned that before. And he turned out to be right. I clearly was the enemy, not all those people, places, and things that I blamed for my unhappy life. So that was the first new idea. I was responsible for my life. I was responsible for my life. Ultimately, I came to see that a lot of my ideas were counterproductive to living a good life. I had no idea until introduced to to, uh, to the program. So I needed a whole new set of ideas, beliefs, and attitudes. And that was another definition of my higher power, a new set of ideas. My ideas didn't work. Okay, let's have a new set. So that new set that I've learned in the program from others became a higher power for me. So pragmatically, a higher power in which I could truly believe at this point was simply this new set of ideas. So step three, at the most basic level for me, was surrendering my thinking and my acting to the rest of the steps, a new set of instructions. I contracted with myself and my my sponsor that I would do steps 4 through 12 no matter what. I admitted myself to the metaphorical OA hospital, I guess, and and committed the following directions. Of course, I wanted to argue with everything, but I had a good tough love sponsor who said, trust the process. You don't have to understand it, Don. Quit thinking, quit thinking, quit trying to figure everything out. Just trust the process. And so surrender for me wasn't so much giving up as deciding to cooperate. Cooperate with what? The new set of directions laid out in the big book in the 12 and 12s. Um, following that transformation process would would result, following that process ended up resulting in a whole new set of ideas for living to replace my dysfunctional thinking that I brought to the program. Um, 
I was blind to the future at that point. I couldn't see where this 12-step highway might lead. But somewhere, I read that all progress is a step into the darkness. So I committed to heading into the darkness of the rest of the steps. It may sound as if I was enthusiastic and eager and hopeful, but for the first few months of the program, I was still in the clutches of a suicidal-level depression. But I kept moving forward, kept following the directions, I was abstinent and then not abstinent and abstinent and not abstinent, but the direction was right. I would have longer periods of abstinence than none, and I would learn from what I what I could from the slips. Slips are learning experiences, and get back on the horse and continue to work. And the pounds kept coming off, and I kept changing gradually, 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 gradually. So, step three was was the opening of my mind to a state of being teachable. Uh, receptive to a new set of ideas, which I would find in working the rest of the steps. Um, Another part of living step three today is related to the controlling uh, that I talked about before, Uh, not doing any master planning for the universe, for the people out there, letting go of things, captured in the slogans, let go and let God, uh, or live and let live, I guess, even more. After many years of arguing and philosophizing and mouthing the uh, standard prayers, the Serenity 3rd, 7th, and 11th, I gave up the debate on this whole higher power thing. I accepted that there is something, call it what you like, that's bigger than me. Uh, It's unseeable, it's unprovable, it's undefinable, but it's very feelable. It's a quiet inner voice. Uh, I talk about a quiet inner voice of truth, goodness, and love that's always been there, always was there, but I could never find I had blocked it. That quiet inner voice of truth, goodness, and love that's always been there for me to tap into for strength and direction, but I blocked it out with my wrong thinking. Blockers, character defects, shortcomings, all of these things blocked it out. The big book calls this a hidden inner resource, and that phrase in the big book, hidden inner resource, uh, helped open me to this quiet inner voice and understand that, that this higher power was there somewhere deep inside. Um, so my job is to keep my thoughts and my words and actions aligned with what I think is God's will for me in the various parts of my life. Stay aligned with that quiet inner voice. Um, Generically, that that includes basics like faith, abstinence, acceptance, forgiveness, tolerance, kindness, compassion, honesty, responsibility, as in accountability, and being useful to God and others. And I'll talk about those in uh, uh, in some later steps in a couple minutes. Um, I try to ascertain God's will for me in whatever I'm doing but I have to be very careful that it's my higher power and not ego speaking, of course. So I always need to factor into the mix uh, experience, knowledge, common sense, intuition, and the wisdom of spiritual mentors. <clears throat> that's a <clears throat> that's a phrase, a quote out of one of, the, one of the books, I'm not sure where. I always factor in my experience, knowledge, common sense, intuition, and wisdom of spiritual mentors. All right, in the interest of time, let's move on. Step four. Step four was the beginning of a process that eventually led to feeling good about myself. But I didn't know that when I began the trip, didn't know that when I began. 
uh, I just picked up the shovel and started digging because the rest of the steps was the action that I committed to in step three. That was my commitment. All right, I will do this. I will play your game. I don't understand it, but I will sign the contract. I'll admit myself to this metaphorical OA hospital, and I will work the rest of your steps and see what happens. So in step four, with my brain detoxed from the toxic foods, I began facing myself to identify my poisons. Um, right? We talked about, I talked about the poison foods in step one, the trigger foods, the action foods, the things that, uh, cause, that, that, that cause the craving slash compulsion. And now I'm looking at the toxic ideas, the toxic ideas, the beliefs, the attitudes, the ways of dealing with life that lead to the feelings that lead to the food. So if I want to ultimately get at the cause, causes and conditions, familiar phrase, right? The causes and conditions are deep inside of me. They're in my ideas and my beliefs and my attitudes and my ways of dealing with life. Those were the roots. Food was the symptom, not ultimately the cause of my misery. The problem was and is the thinking that leads me to the feelings, that leads me to consciously or unconsciously medicate myself with foods. Uh, with food. Some of the key things I had to look at, uh, fear. Uh, fear and its many derivatives were at the heart of many of my shortcomings. Fear of not good enough, of failure, of making a mistake, of looking stupid. False pride. Uh, this overly self-conscious, always pretending to be what I'm not or, or to know what I don't know. Selfishness. Me, me, me. Focusing on getting rather than giving. Um, self-pity. Not my fault. I'm a victim of parents, spouse, society in general. Poor me, poor me. Anger and resentments. Anger held on to becomes resentment. Resentments held on to become poison. Poison, poison, poison. Holding on to the poison in me toward perceived or actual wrongs done to me will destroy any hope of serenity. Uh, rationalizing, dishonest thinking, lying to myself, convincing myself that all my excuses are valid. Uh, guilt and shame, hanging on to bad feelings about myself in the same way I hang on to resentment against others. Some basic programming flaws in my operating system that uh, were first identified here in steps four and five. Some some wrong beliefs, for example. Uh, my worth is dependent upon what others think of me. Wrong. It's what I think of me. I need everyone's approval to be okay. Wrong. Self-sufficiency is man's greatest virtue. Asking for help is weakness. Wrong. I'm a prisoner of my past. I have no hope of changing. Wrong. I actually usually say bullshit behind all these, but I've cleaned it up for vision for you here. Expect the worst from people and never be disappointed. That came from my mother. Wrong. I have to be totally competent in everything in order to be okay. Wrong. Achievement equals self-esteem. Wrong. That's how I became a compulsive worker. I was not only a compulsive eater. I was a compulsive worker, a workaholic. And that was all about achieving, 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 chasing the strokes, chasing the accolades because of this low self-esteem. Wrong. Self-esteem comes from doing esteemable things and living in an esteemable way. <clears throat> First and foremost, I think, in living, step four, is to keep facing my self-destructive thoughts and actions. Uh, I do a quick step 10 self-assessment every day. I'll talk about it in a few minutes. Uh, but sometimes I need to go back to the step four process and go to a deeper level. The flaws, of, the flaws that I mentioned 
as examples, didn't magically disappear after practicing them for a lifetime. Uh, Self-centeredness, hard to see in myself, and easy to creep back in. Uh, Resentments, blaming, victim thinking, run deep, so I need to watch all the time for those thoughts. Living step four means courage. Courage is often seen as the fundamental principle behind this. Courage to proactively live life, not simply endure. My life today is based upon living it, not simply enduring it, as I did for the first 42 years. Facing reality with courage brings self-respect and self-esteem. Living in recovery today reflects many different aspects for me of courage. Um, As someone whose life was once dominated by fear, doubt, and insecurity, the process uh, brought an unexpected feeling of gratitude because it reminded me of all the areas of my life where today I unthinkingly show courage. I'm always surprised when people start talking about fear and I kind of see in myself, oh, I, I, I used to be afraid of that, but I'm not afraid of that anymore. Uh, I'm not afraid to live life. I'm not afraid to stand up. So I'm not sure exactly where in my 35 years of program that fear lost its hold on me. But when I came to the program, it totally had me prisoner. So it was a gradual process for me, this, this lifting of the fear. Uh, what, much of what I do today is, is automatic. It, automatically, I would have been afraid of to do earlier, um, or at least I would have done with huge amounts of anxiety. Um, Courage to keep changing because life encourages constant change. Courage to change my mind. If I'm not changing my mind about some things, I'm not growing. Courage to experiment, to try new things. Courage to admit my mistakes. Courage to face, admit, and deal with my flaws. Courage to continually assess how I'm doing on my daily disciplines. Know, following my food plan, doing things I need to do every day to keep in fit spiritual condition. Courage to speak my truth rather than lying or covering up or pretending. Courage to face, accept, and deal with criticism. Courage to make decisions that keep me moving forward, living life proactively, not reactively. In other words, I always make a decision, even if the decision is to not make a decision. I used to be totally, totally paralyzed because I couldn't decide, well, I can decide today to not make a decision at this time until I get more information. That's making a decision, and it frees me, and I can set aside whatever it is I'm worried about or working on and move to the next thing. So always make a decision, even if it's making a decision to not make a decision. And the big thing in my life for the last three years now is courage to face my evolving physical disability. It's a major change, a major challenge to my program. Um, the challenge is the ongoing physical pain, um, plus the anger and self-pity at not being able to physically do what I love to do. You know, I'm an outside person. I love to walk and hike and kayak and get lost out in the magnificence of nature up on a mountaintop someplace, and I can't do that anymore. Um, a program friend gave me last year a God box that reads on top, Life is not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. And that's what I am doing today and still still learning to do is accommodate, accommodate. Learn to dance in the rain. No, I can't climb those mountains like I used to because of the back pain and leg pain. Uh, but I can do other things. So I learn to accommodate. 
Um, let me close this step four here with two quotes from the program. First is a slogan I first heard from that Tough Love sponsor I mentioned. Uh, the other is one of the affirmations from a piece of OA literature called Just for Today. Uh, so first, courage is not the absence of fear. It's doing it anyway. Important to me. I've said it before. And secondly, one of the affirmations I say every day, every day, every day is just for today I'll be unafraid. Especially I will not be afraid to enjoy what is beautiful and to believe that as I give to the world, so the world will give to me. All right. So um, I'm going to have to speed up here. I'm looking at the clock. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on five, but in my fifth step, I sat with someone for several hours going through all I had written. Uh, he shared some of his former skeletons, which gave me the courage to share mine. Uh, the first of several remarkable things happened with the skeletons. I didn't realize it until much later, but all the guilt and shame attached to the skeletons disappeared, believe it or not. The vials of poison that had been setting in the shadows of my brain disappeared, and they have never returned. Another remarkable thing happened as I shared myself totally with another human being for the very first time in 42 years, and that was, most importantly, that the wall that I had built to protect myself from hurt began to slowly crumble. As I made myself vulnerable by disclosing my true self, I felt like I was rejoining the human race. I trusted this man. I hadn't truly trusted anyone for a very long time. Later, I came to describe this part of the process as the, the healing part. And then later, I came to describe the fifth step as the beginning of my spiritual awakening. It was truly the beginning of the opening of my heart as this wall began to come down. And it uh, didn't go all, all down that day. It's a gradual process. But this is where the, uh, the the blocks on the top of that wall began to crumble. So I came out of step five with three lists. Uh, the key traits I needed to work on changing in step six and seven. Uh, a preliminary list of amends to be made in step nine. And then lastly, a list of my assets. The, um, the emotional wall, which which I was hiding in order to avoid the deep pain, I had previously suffered, came down, as I said, allowed myself to become vulnerable, and I didn't die. Uh, holding on to recovery today means being careful to not rebuild that wall or anything like it. Isolation is, is, is a potential problem for me. I need to practice openness, honesty, fearless, fearlessly expressing and being who I really am, and that's at the heart of living step five for me today. Integrity is the word often associated with step five. Being who I am, not play acting, who I think you want me to be, or hiding my real self. Another part of the integrity that this step is about is making sure that my insides match my outsides. Make certain my behavior matches my values. Um, my insides, the quiet inner spiritual compass, I call it, the quiet inner voice is my spiritual compass, point me to where I'm intended to go and who I'm intended to be. Self-esteem for me comes from aligning my behavior with my values. seems like a very simple statement, but for me it's a great truth and critical to my life. The alignment of my inside and my outside. 
the steps and the traditions and the slogans and the tools were the vehicles for rebuilding and healing that life, and they continue to be the vehicles for a sane and useful life today. Um, six and seven I'll combine, um, and then I think I will need to move over. I'll go briefly at nine and then move to 10, 11, and 12, where I need to spend about 15 minutes or so. Six and seven, we're entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. These two steps have been the guts of my 35 years of living the program. Healing and rebuilding for me has always been about personality change. Uh, It was not, for me, about finding a God in the traditional sense of the word, surrendering to him, her, it, and then sitting back and waiting for him, her, it, to convert me to happy, joyous, and free was not the way it worked for me. The 12 steps are the process that enabled me to change my life from broken and dysfunctional to a whole and functional and joyful and useful life. So I rejoined the human race, as I said a few moments ago. So 4, 5, 6, and 7 were and are the core of the personality change required in the 12-step rebuilding and healing process for me. Uh, I still have the... uh, card with the summary that I mentioned coming out of the fifth step with. I still have a card. Uh, it was it got typed at some point, and it, it's rather yellowed, of course, and lots of fading pencil and pen markings front and back. But the keywords were typed, and they're still very legible. And But on the bottom was handwritten words, and I don't know exactly when they got there, but fairly early in the program. But on the bottom, in my in my handwriting, were the words, get rid of these or I'll eat again. Now, I don't know if that's something that I said or somebody said to me. I have no idea. But get rid of these or I'll eat again. And absolutely true. So I had to do whatever I could do, had to, needed to do, to get rid of these. And that included, as I've already mentioned, rigidity. This is right off the card. Rigidity, perfectionism unrealistic expectations on myself and others, grandiosity, self-pity, blaming, dishonesty, false pride, lack of faith, fear, and insecurity. Uh, Today I know what I didn't quite understand 35 years ago, and that it it turns out that step six and seven for me resemble step one. Step one says I cannot stop eating on my own. Six and seven says I cannot on my own change what needs to be changed. But like step one, where God doesn't do the meal planning and the shopping and the meal preparation, I have a I have a big part there. Obviously, I have a big part in six and seven, exactly the same. So for me, I've concluded at some point along the line that higher power and I are partners. That my life is working with this higher power to co co-create each day of my life. So change for me is a cooperative process. God gave me free will and intelligence and the ability to make decisions and take actions to deal with life. Abdication of my part to God simply didn't work. God doesn't do for me what I need to do for myself. I'm not a puppet on a string. What God will do is give me the strength and the courage to work on change. So bad habits, compulsions, wrong thinking cannot be willed away. They have to be replaced by their opposites. That's what I have learned, and this is my experience. This is a simple idea, but it's the most important concept in my emotional recovery. We're talking about physical recovery, emotional recovery, and spiritual recovery. This is at the heart of my emotional recovery. 
find the opposite of the problem, and then practice living that way. And that's what my six and seven were about and are continued to be about um, today. Um, continually working and living six and seven, uh, along with 10, 11, and 12, fulfill the need for growth in my life, sometimes in the form of adjustment, sometimes simply in experiencing new things, sometimes simply in ongoing contact with uh, higher power. The OA 12 and 12 calls willingness the spiritual principle of step six and humility the spiritual principle of step seven. At the most basic level, the principle of willingness in step six for me means being willing to surrender to God those things in me that need changing. That means willingness to deal with the potential consequences of whatever I'm going to work on changing. For example, am I really willing to deal with what may happen when I start being honest? Am I really willing to deal with what may happen when I start speaking up for myself? So I need to cooperate with God by showing through my everyday behavior and actions a willingness to let go of the traits, attitudes, and behaviors that I identify in 4 and 5 that cause me trouble. And I've mentioned those before. That, so I have a part. So my job in 6 and 7 is to practice as best I can living in the solutions, identify the clear solutions, the opposites of the of the of the uh, uh, defect, and my job is to try living in those. Practice, practice, practice. Practice the new behaviors. God will give me the strength to, to do that. So at the most basic level, the principle of humility here in step seven means surrendering my defects to God and asking for strength to live in their opposite. All right. Um, I say the seven-step prayer every day. Uh, and I do an, an add-on. I'll just say that here so I won't cover it in step 11. Uh, I, uh, so as part of my morning prayers in the morning, I do several prayers, one of which is the seventh. So I say the, 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 the normal big book, my creator, now willing that you should have, have all of me, good and bad, etc. And then at the end I say, and specifically, God, help me today to live in faith rather than fear and worry. Help me to live in a state of surrender rather than trying to control and manage life. Help me to live in acceptance of reality rather than anger and resentment. Help me to live in forgiveness rather than animosity. Help me to live in tolerance rather than judging and criticizing. Help me to live in kindness and compassion rather than indifference. And so I go through uh, others, accountability, enthusiasm, it's authentic, proactive rather than reactive, live in the present rather than the past, my best is good enough, growth and development, I think there's about 10 of them, something like that. So I ask God to help me to live in the solutions. So I focus on the positive. I focus on the solution. You know what it says in the big book. If I focus on the problem, the problem increases. If I focus on the solution, the solution increases. So I choose in my program to focus on the solutions and then ask God for help. Uh, I'm going to skip over to, uh, I've got about 15 minutes left, I guess, or so. So 8 and 9, uh, I, I, they're all about love and compassion and forgiveness and the ongoing practice of those. Um, it's all about, for me, living these uh, is about relationships, not not uh, uh, the book talks about all the 12 and 12 the big, and the big book talk about looking for ways in my behavior and thinking and, and personality that can cause harm to other people. Uh, and so, generically, it seems to me that 
there are fundamental ways of thinking and behaving that promote good relationships, right? So I'm trying to promote good relationships with people here. Um, those fundamental ways of thinking and behaving that promote good relationships, I have a listing, this is off my blog, acceptance rather than anger, forgiveness rather than hate, faith rather than fear, surrender rather than trying to control, love and tolerance rather than judging, compassion rather than indifference, honesty rather than dishonesty, constructive rather than critical. It's all those defects of mine that cause bad relationships. So if I want to promote good relationships, I need to live in those kinds of things, which is, as you as you can gather, uh, just a continuation of what I began talking about in 4, 5, 6, and 7. So 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 for me are the guts of the transformation. Uh, 1, 2, and 3 prepared me to get well. 4 through 9 got me well. 10, 11, and 12 keep me well, as has been said. All right, let's talk. Let's finish up the next 15, 20 minutes, uh, you know, 15 minutes at the most. So we leave some time for questions. With 10, 11, and 12, um, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. There is no free lunch. There is no cure. To keep the disease arrested, I need to keep doing the things that got me here. I need a daily treatment plan. And I emphasize that, daily treatment plan. That's what I consider myself doing. Uh, daily treatment plan to keep the obsession and the compulsion arrested. I have to work at living all the steps, all the time, in all my affairs. I measure how I'm doing on that every day by focusing on 10, 11, and 12. Every day. Every day, every day, every day. I'll say it one more time. Every day, without exception. Uh, the change has happened in steps 1 to 9. Now I have to hold on as well as continue to grow. I have to continue to grow. Uh, a lot of ways that I do ongoing inventory uh, to assess how I'm doing and whether corrections need to be made. Uh, also, I'm assessing whether I'm growing because I, I've concluded at some point that I have to keep growing emotionally and spiritually. If I don't work on growth, I am, in effect, going backwards. It's a little like going up a down escalator. I have to keep moving forward and working on growth. If I don't, if I kind of drift, I'm in fact not drifting. I'm slowly going backwards, back into that pit of hell from which I which I came. So, of course, uh, Big Book says ongoing 24-7, selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. That's always there. That's always in my head. And I won't go through the – most of you know what it says about what to do with that. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And then it says four things we need to do with that. Um most important thing for me in step 10 is to focus on the defects and the solutions from 4 to 7 that I've mentioned. Change is a slow process. New thinking, new behaviors become habitual only after long practice. So in the 10th, I keep assessing how I'm doing on each of these so that I ensure that I'm moving forward, not backwards. Uh, uh, big book suggests uh, in uh, night, um, the, the inventory, and uh, this is not one way to do it. Uh, again, selfish dishonesty, resentment, fearful. Do I owe an apology? If I kept something to myself, which should be discussed? Was I kind and loving? And and goes on with seven or eight other things. Was I in, was I considerate? Did I unjustify be around jealousy, suspicion, arouse jealousy, suspicion? Did I lose my temper? Did I put others down? Did I criticize, etc.? Over the years, I've done different things, and sometimes people can't get into this, so I will 
say, okay, let's do a let's let's do a real easy form of a ten step inventory assessment of how you're doing. Let's just use the slogans. And so I say I use six slogans or five slogans, uh, one day at a time. Do I live in today or waste endless energy regretting the past and worrying about the future? There's the one day at a time slogan. Slogans for me, by the way, are the shorthand for the great wisdom of the program. So I am very big into slogans. Easy does it. Does my thinking in life resemble a NASCAR 500 race? Overwork, overplay, overstudy, overplan, overeat, over everything? First things first, am I overwhelmed by all I have to do? The end result too often being I end up paralyzed and do nothing? Live and let live. Do I accept others as they are, or do I impose all my values, shoulds, and oughts on them? The result being I'm always in conflict. Let go and let God. Am I in charge of the world? Do I leave in God's hands all the things I cannot change or control? So I'm in charge of actions, but God or something else is in charge of results. Sometimes I just use little statements that come into my brain like, how was it living with me today? How was it working with me today? How did I do today as a spouse, as an employee, as a parent, as an OAer? as a friend, as a son, as a daughter, as a citizen. Uh, more formally, once a week I do a, a, a full inventory, and uh, that's a three-column list. Some of you have seen this out there, I think. Three-column list called Dawn's Personal Daily Inventory. And it's uh, in one column, it has living in. On the other right-hand column, it says rather than. So... There's 30 things on here, and it says, how am I doing living in faith rather than fear, worry, and self-doubt? And I have in the middle of this three boxes to check. One says more often than not, one says sometimes, and one says not much. So I can say, how am I doing living in faith today rather than fear, worry, and self-doubt and anxiety? And I can say, okay, more often than not, I am. Because remember, there's no perfection. So more often than not, it's a good phrase for me. Sometimes or not much. And I go on down the line. How am I doing living in surrender rather than trying to control and manage? How am I doing living in acceptance rather than resentment? How am I doing living in forgiveness rather than hate? How am I doing living in tolerance rather than judging? And I go on down. And so I put little check marks in the boxes. And I can, when I get to the bottom, and this only takes, by the way, less than five minutes. Uh, I get to the bottom that I can see very clearly where the check marks are. And if all the check marks are over and more often than not, that means I am really in good spiritual condition. Now, I don't ever remember in 35, well, I've been doing this for maybe 15. I don't ever remember all the check, checks being in the left box. They're just ne never there. There's always, there's always a mixture. But I can see from time to time, from week to week, if the check marks are moving. So there was a time, particularly after I had surgery uh, some time ago and I was almost paralyzed for a long period of time, where lots of those check marks moved over into the right because I was full of anger and remorse and self-pity and uh, all that stuff. and But this helped me understand I must try, I must try, I must try to move back into those solutions. So that's how I do the 10th uh, step. 11th uh, step, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. All right, I do an extensive 11 step every morning. Now, I'm retired and I have the time, and so I take at least a half an hour with this, sometimes a little bit more. Um, but I uh, uh, 
go through a process. Uh, I have an opening prayer that says, Good morning, God. Thank you for the gift of another day. By the way, this, this prayer changes all the time, depending on where I am. But right now, I'm looking at the uh, worksheet I have in front of me every morning when I sit down with my books in the worksheet to do this in a, in a quiet place. Good morning, God. Thank you for the gift of another day. It is a gift. It definitely is a gift. Help me not waste it. Grant me the discipline to be productive and useful today, the power to follow my food plan, the strength and faith to accept and deal with life on life's terms, including my back and leg pain, and the will to work at being all you would have me be. Direct my thinking and actions today, God. Keep me free from anger and self-pity and sadness and complaining and the negativity driven by my disability. Help me to live in patience, tolerance, kindness, love, acceptance, forgiveness, surrender, enthusiasm, and with purpose and usefulness to to you. Uh, then I plan my day. So I do a food plan for the day. And this that only takes a second because I eat almost the same thing all the time. Not the same, but very limited. I keep it simple, simple, simple. That's better for me. I do the food plan. I do my to-do list for the day. And then sometimes I do an attitude plan for the day. Not always, but sometimes I will say, all right, today I just must, must, must focus and concentrate on being, on acceptance or on surrender, whatever the case may be. Then I do a quick inventory, and I've just summarized for you the kinds of inventories that I do. On my little worksheet here, there's a, a list of all those things that I was talking about, like abstinence, acceptance, accountability, calmness, cheerfulness, forgiveness, etc. Then I read my books. And uh, I, I read no less than three every day. And I write on the truths in those books. Those books are basically truth books for me. And I have been very, very, very valuable in the, in the gradual personality change that has occurred over the years with me. So the daily reading books are uh, extraordinarily valuable to me. So I have a whole stack of them on, the, on my little table there. And uh, as I said, I admit minimal three. Uh, but sometimes I'll need more, and nothing comes to me out of the three, and so I'll keep reading. So I have lots of 12-step books uh, from uh, various programs. Uh, then I do a gratitude list, always, every day, every day, every day, every day, a gratitude list without fail. Um, then I say uh, prayers, serenity prayer. Sometimes I'll do the serenity prayer exercise. I'll say, okay, things I cannot change that are troublesome to me, and I'll write those down and then things I can change. And, of course, everybody knows, what can I really change? Just me. I can just change my attitudes, and I can change my priorities and my actions, but I can't change anything else. I say the third-step prayer, seventh-step prayer, which I've already mentioned, and the eleventh-step prayer. Eleventh-step prayer is very important to me, particularly the last part that says, grant that I may seek to comfort, understand, and love, rather than to be comforted, be understood, and be loved. Then I have uh, some basic beliefs, that I affirm every day by reading through those, and no time here to go through those. That's um, just, it's the result of this long, long spiritual journey that, uh, that, I, that I've been on all these years. Um, number six on there says, God won't do for me what I need to do for myself, so don't abdicate, I'm accountable. <clears throat> number, se- number seven, the key says, God will give me the strength to deal with whatever life brings. He always walks beside of me, and sometimes, if need be, he will carry me. Um, then I do affirmations 
<clears throat> and I have all kinds of affirmations since I've suffered from depression my entire life. It's in the family. Affirmations have been important to me. I mentioned that I always do the OA just for the days, just for the day I'll get through this day only, etc. Number six in there is the key one. Just for today, I'll be agreeable. I look as well as I can, dress becomingly, act courteous, criticize not one bit, not find fault with anybody or anything, not try to improve or regulate anybody except myself. Tall order, but I say it every day, every day, and then I do my best to adhere to that. Uh, A couple of other examples of affirmations. I have nothing to fear today or any day as long as I let God take charge of me in all the circumstances in my life. Uh, I find my way today by following my higher power. Uh, I leave tomorrow to God, but do today what I think God would have me do to prepare for tomorrow. Um, I love myself unconditionally as God loves me unconditionally. As a child of God, I have value and purpose, or I would not have been given the gift of life. Uh, I am enough. I have enough. I do enough. I do not waste who I am by living in a dream of who I wish I was or used to be. I trust God in the 12-step program to carry me through whatever life brings. So there's some examples of the affirmations. Then I have a concluding prayer that I uh, uh, end with, and then I do exercise. <clears throat> I do meditation sometimes, but not not too often. God, The words of God come to me through other people, through the literature, and uh, often as I'm working through my uh, uh, writing in the in the 11th step, so I don't do a lot of meditation inside in the in the uh, usual concept of the word. Step 12. Um, I'll just speak of service. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive eaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Um, Service. I think I've talked to some degree about the spiritual awakening and uh, practicing these principles. I've been talking about those characteristics and these principles of, of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love, forgiveness, acceptance, etc. Uh, so let me just say a word about service. I'll give you some quotes. A big book, page 97. Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. A kindly act once in a while isn't enough. There is absolutely no question. I must pass it on. I must pass it on. If I do not, I will not hold it. Uh, Big book, uh, Roman numeral 27. Strenuous work, one alcoholic with another, was vital to permanent recovery. Permanent recovery. Holding on to this means helping others. I don't have a choice. It's the 12th step. It's not optional. AA, a big book, page 89, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. Page 15, when all other marriages failed, in other Bill's story, work with another alcoholic would save the day. Uh, Big book, page 20. Our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depends on our constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. OA Tradition 5. Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Um, 
my job is to do this. Uh, in the beginning, it was it was it was more work. Today, it's just what my life is is built upon. Uh, my life today, the, the the shorthand for what my life is based upon is love and service. Now, I didn't make this up. This came from Dr. Bob someplace, the love and service idea. So I say my life is based upon love and service and all the manifestations of those two words. So, for example, love is manifested in patience, tolerance, kindness, compassion, forgiveness, acceptance, understanding, calm mind, calm mind steady heart. Service is manifested in sharing my experience, strength, and hope with still-suffering compulsive eaters and doing whatever I can to keep OA healthy. And that's what I'm doing here this morning, just sharing my experience um, with you all, with whoever is listening in, uh, passing on my experience, strength, and hope. Not a teacher, just sharing my experience with all of you and doing whatever I can to keep OA healthy. And I think I will stop there. I've done 45 minutes, so that leaves some time for questions. So I'll turn it back to you, Leah. Thank you so much, Don, for sharing your experience and personal insights with us, with this captivating presentation you offered all of us this morning. Thank you so much. Don's contact information will be given at the conclusion of the recording, so stay tuned for that. And now let's take a few questions here out of respect of Don's time. Uh, Sorry. I didn't catch your first name. Jamie W. Jamie, okay. And any other one? Once again. Happy K. Maura Z. Okay, let's stop there. Let's stop there. Jamie W., go right ahead with your question. Uh, Don C., thank you so much for your contribution. And uh, uh, Leah. Thank you so much for um, service, um, both of you. My question is, um, you mentioned letting go of your past. I've been struggling with that. And what um, what actions and what um, kind of thought-related way allows you to, to let go of your past when it comes back up? The, um, I, uh, thanks for the question. It doesn't come up a lot, but occasionally it does come back, and I have to do the same thing that I did before. I may need to discuss it with my sponsor and saying it's still troubling me, troubling me, but more often than not, I just give it to God. Give it to the universe. Uh, understand that it doesn't do me any good to hold on to this unless there's something that I haven't made right. If I had some big part in that past uh, that I didn't clean up, then I may need to do something about that. Uh, but I cleaned up my stuff in the uh, in the in the ninth step. There there is sometimes these these uh, some of the defects I talked about, uh, like resentment, for example, is, is the biggest one, I guess. Uh, uh, some of these things are like default settings that I've practiced, you know, for many many years, and so some of those things will come back around. They go around like resentment. So, for example, to resentment toward my mother, uh, lots of resentment toward my mother, and I gave that to God at some point and came to the conclusion after a long time, well, she did the best she could with what she had, and I let go. Now, the problem was I have, I was, she died a few months ago, I was an only child and I was in charge of my mother, basically, the last 15 years of her life, uh, into the in assisted living, into the nursing home, 
gradually through the dementia, etc. And she kept doing things that pushed my buttons. And uh, no matter what, she didn't change. I changed. And so some stuff would come up, and I would have to go through the forgiveness process again and again and again. And it just was. That's the reality. I can't help what my feelings are. I just have to deal with them in a constructive way. So that that's one example of a defect that, that kept cycling back from time to time. Uh, when I would go there to visit, I would always have to limit my time. That was part of my strategy is I'm good for about three days there, and then I need to leave. Otherwise, she starts pushing those buttons. And, of course, an old sponsor reminded me, yeah, she pushes your buttons because, remember, she's the one that installed those buttons. So uh, if, if that's helpful to you. Thanks. Thank you, Jamie W. Mara Z. Mara Z, star one, unmute. Good morning. Thank you, Leia. Sorry, I thought I was. Um, thank you for your service. Thank you for your service and your share, Don, this morning. I appreciate it very much. Um, I have a question. Um, I got a little confused. When you were speaking of step two early on this morning, you said that you um, you had um, positive expectations instead of ne- negative expectations. You thought the best would occur. And my question is, how do you reconcile having expectations of any kind with creating resentments from having expectations that aren't met? I don't remember exactly what what I said that you're talking about, uh, frankly. Um, but expectations are expectations, so I, I, I won't try to remember. I'll just mention, say something about expectations. Expectations are killers. Uh, one of the false memories, false ideas that I had, which came from my childhood, was always expect the worst and never be disappointed. disappointed. Now, that's bullshit, of course. Uh, I have a much better life if I look for the good, listen for the good, feel for the good. Knowing all the while, while I'm not in control, I'm not going to control what happens. Anything can happen. Uh, but I have a much better attitude and I'm more useful if I look for the good, listen for the good, feel for the good. Uh, but I know, I'm, and I make plans, obviously, for the world and for, for things. I make plans for myself, and I strive toward those plans. But ultimately, I'm only in charge of the actions Something else, God, others, the universe, fate, is in charge of the outcomes. So um, that's the way I have to look at life today is whatever happens, happens. Okay, next, let's get on. What can I do about it? What happened? But that doesn't, but I have to keep practicing the positive. Uh, I spent my life in the negative. I come from a culture of negativity. And so I had to work on that attitude and continue to have to work on that attitude. But if I, uh, uh, the slogan I learned early on that I still use all the time is um, work, plan your plan, work your plan, but leave the results to God. So I plan the plan, I take action and work the plan, but ultimately I cannot assure the results. I cannot assure the results. That's, that's why I had so much trouble with, with God all those years and trying to figure out what this higher power was. Finally, I got it. Uh, Somebody said, you know, Don, the reason you're trying to figure out this formula is so that you can control it. 
that's what's underneath of all this. If you can figure out exactly how God works, then you figure that you can do the certain things that will make God love you or do this or do that. So it was all about controlling. So ultimately, I let go of that and said, all right, I know that I can't know. There is nobody, nobody that knows. I cannot prove anything. Nobody else can prove anything. If they tell you they, they know for sure, they, they, they don't. Uh, so just let go and let it be as it is. So thanks for the question. Thanks, Maura. Kathy Kay. Hey, this is Kathy Kay from Boston. Thank you, Don, so much. Um, when I heard your talk two years ago, I was really struck by uh, how to work steps six and seven differently. That is focusing on the opposites, and as you put it, partnering with God to practice the opposite. Two years later, I still find myself uh, working on fear, which is a big character defect of mine, very enduring. And I'm just wondering if um, I'm not getting at it in some way, or am I simply being impatient because the fear persists and uh, I have to act as if, um, but I don't feel like I'm changing. So I wondered if you had any thoughts about that. Change is really slow sometimes, really difficult. Um, it's like learning any other skill. Remember, fear is learned. Fear is a conditioned response. And anything I learned, I can unlearn. But unlearning sometimes is very difficult. Some things go very quickly. Fear for me took a long time. It was, I started in the program in 82, and I I know fear stuck with me for a long time, and I just kept working at it, working at it, and more often than not, I was just doing things I was afraid to do out of plain old guts. Like the, like I said, Charlie said, I don't give a crap if you're afraid. Just do it anyway. And so I would keep doing it and keep doing it. And I would keep uh, saying the prayers to a God I didn't truly understand, didn't truly believe in, but I was acting as if, acting as if. So a lot of the times I did things, I just acted as if I wasn't afraid and went ahead and did them. And gradually, 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 the fear, the hold that fear had on my life began to fade. But not overnight. Not, there was no big, big lightning bolt. It was a slow process. So I don't know how many years it was uh, before I really became, uh, before I broke out of the bondage. Now, fear can still be there. It's called anxiety by a nice new another name, right? Anxiety is just another word for fear. But some level of anxiety is normal. All of these these characteristics that I talked about, these traits, have have uh, uh, we all have them to some degree. It's a question on a scale of ten. You know, fear uh, on a scale of ten. If you have normal fear, you may be at one, two, three. Uh, depending upon what the situation is. But if you're at 8, 9, 10 level fear, then it's blocking you. Then it's paralyzing you. So I went from that 8, 9 uh, level down to the 4 or 5 level. And then it's, today I would say it's more normal and you know there's anxiety there about certain things. Um, but it's just there. And that's called life for me. And I know there are people that say they don't have any. 
But those are people that are probably in better spiritual condition than I am, or perhaps have a greater dependence upon higher power, God, spirit of the universe, than I do. It's a long, long spiritual journey for me, but I am not uh, at that level where I just can totally say, God's in charge, forget about everything. I can't quite get there. I would say, I probably get in trouble for saying this, but (laughs) I would say 90% of my recovery has been the personality rebuilding and changing. 10% has been the spiritual. Now the problem or the deal is that 10%, though, is critical. I couldn't do the 90 without the influence of the 10. So it's there, but I know there are people in the program that are probably the opposite. They're 90% spiritual and 10% personality change. But for me, that uh, hardcore, atheist, angry, overeducated, overzealous, over-everything guy that came into the program, this is the way it's been for me. So I'm I'm sharing my experience. So do not be discouraged. Keep working at it. Fear will eventually lose its hold. But you'll never get rid of all fear. It just is. It's normal to be fearful of going out there on that super highway and walking down the median, right, with cars buzzing by at 75 miles an hour. That's normal anxiety, normal fear. But uh, other things we just, just have to work at. So keep 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 at it, keep at it. Be patient. Be patient. All right. Okay. Go ahead. Thank you. Thanks so much, Kathy, for the question. Thank you, Don. Out of respect for your time, we'll stop there with our questions. I want to thank you, Don, for your presentation this morning. It's been so helpful and very compelling. Can I, thank can you. Can I say one one more thing? Of course. Absolutely. What, what I said today, I, I think I mentioned this up front, a lot of what I said today, uh, is out of the, the the series that I've been doing on my blog on living the steps, right? So much of what I said today you can find on there. So I'm not I don't want to promote anything, but I have put I started this blog about a year and a half ago, and it's kind of looks to be my future as I get less and less mobile. I'm starting to write more and try to pass on my experience through that. So a lot of what I said today is is right off of that. Very good to know, and we'll get all your contact information at the conclusion of this recording. I'm just going to finish up with a reading that you can find in the big book on page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.